Hello, Line Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Line Cook Thoughts Podcast. In this episode, I have the honor of interviewing EJ Lagasse, the son of acclaimed chef Emeril Lagasse. And while EJ is not saying bam, he's trying to balance schoolwork and helping run a full-time restaurant job. So, EJ is 15 and one of America's youngest chefs. He was born in New York City and now works full-time at Emerald's Coastal Italian in Miramar Beach, Florida. Lagasse has appeared on many critically acclaimed television shows and has spent his time working for the likes of Eric Repair, Danielle Ballou, and his father. Lagasse writes the tasty menus for the restaurant in Florida, and from seeing his food on his Instagram, he's pretty creative. You'll see kind of his creative process throughout the episode, but I was really impressed with his mind and his ability to kind of come up with these ideas. He loves taking classic dishes and reinventing them. He's always looking forward to his next learning opportunity. EJ is a young, eager cook or chef, and he is out there, you know, breaking the mold of what a 15-year-old should be. And I told him, and you'll hear this in the in the interview, but when I was 15, I started working at Wendy's. And EJ is manning a whole restaurant, writing restaurant, you know, tasting menus and just really pushing himself to get out there and not being complacent. He's someone who, through the short time I've known him, has been extremely hospitable. He's very kind, and I'm very glad that he took the time to have this podcast with me. I'm very t- glad that he took the time to interview and kind of put his story out there because, you know, he is young, and it does take a certain level of bravery to put yourself out there to such a cutthroat industry. So I just really want to thank EJ, and I'm very excited for you all to hear this episode. I think a lot of young cooks will learn a lot. I think a lot of older cooks and more experienced people in the industry will be impressed and also learn something. And I really hope you all just take a lot away from this episode. And as always, just make sure you follow me on Instagram at LineCookThoughts and on Facebook at LineCookThoughts. And yeah, we're going to go ahead and start the interview. I hope you all enjoy. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, man. Hey, Jay. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Welcome to the LineCookThoughts podcast. I'm very excited to have you. you on. Very excited to be here. Awesome. So why don't you uh, start off by uh, telling us and the listeners about yourself? Uh, well, my name is EJ Lagasse. I, uh, I'm from New York City. Um, I moved to uh, New Orleans uh, when I was really young, uh, moved back to New York City, and then um, I now live uh, part-time in Miramar Beach, Florida, which is like five hours east of New Orleans. Okay. Um, and... I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and get it out of the way. I am, uh, I am Emeril Lagasse, the guy that says "Bam." I am his <laughs> son, um, and I have a you know a passion for for cooking and and you know um, being fifteen down the line, I would love to be um, you know half the chef that my father was, if that's even possible. So awesome! I'm sure you will. I mean, from looking at your work on Instagram and just seeing your drive, I see big things for you in the future what um what, what was the move like to new orleans or what was the reasoning behind that um so the reason i was born in new york because like my family didn't um spend a lot of time in new york before i was born the reason i was born in new york is because the food network studios were in new york okay and so my dad was up there filming uh emerald live and i um you know i i, I was born and so that's awesome. why I'm that's why I'm from New York, and we moved shortly after to uh, to New Orleans. That's great. And what did uh, what did the food culture in New Orleans mean to you? Was it something special? I've never been down there, but I hear all the time how great the food is. So it's it's the most European city in the United States, if that makes sense. Okay. Food wise, 
And, awesome. you know, I, 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 when I was growing up, you know, we would go eat at, at Emeralds, um, you know, once or twice a week. And that is when my dad was, you know, he was on TV, but he was always in the kitchen still. Because mm-hmm. my dad and I are a lot of the same way. He would do it where, yes, he would go film TV. Yes, he would go do interviews and things like that. But then he would come home and instead of relaxing, he'd go straight to the kitchen and go to work. Okay. And I'm the same way because I still have to balance school for now. So I go to school. I get out of school at three and I leave and I drive straight to the restaurant and go to work. And I'm there till 10, 11 o'clock at night. And that is every single day. Wow. That's great. Yeah. And so that in that sense, we're a lot of the same way. And the food culture influenced that a lot because there's always good food in New Orleans. Okay. There's family run restaurants that are, that have been doing it forever. I mean, there's restaurants down there that are hundreds that are hundred years old. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're doing it right. And everybody in new Orleans, you have a very split clientele. You have people that are either super hip and want to dine and dash in like an hour. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's where we have a, we have a restaurant concept called Merrill that's named after my sister, where just to give you a vibe about how that goes, the restaurant, when it has a birthday or an anniversary celebration or something like that, the lights are dimmed. Hawaii Five O music comes on and a cotton candy with a sparkler comes out with it. Awesome. So that's, that's that hip, fun vibe. And that seats like 190 at one time. So it's a huge seating. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty big. Like a huge seating. And we have like 42 cooks or something like that. Like it's crazy big. Mm-hmm. And then you literally go two blocks down the road at Emeralds where there's nine cooks. They do still a really good amount of, of seatings for a turn. I think it's like, I think it's like 125 a turn. Mm-hmm. But it's the more classic, you know, white tablecloths, candle lit, servers are in uh, ties, the bartenders are in vests, the managers are in suits. It's that type of uh, atmosphere. Okay. And I find it the middle ground because we have another restaurant that is uh, Delmonico, uh, Emeralds Delmonico, which is uh, it was a uh, it was built in like 1805 or 1804 or something like that, and it's been a restaurant the whole time, and so uh, we bought it in 1993 and then worked on it for a few years until we reopened it in '98, and um, that is our well. Uh, the New York Times put it as our Emerald's swankiest eatery. So it's it's our kicked up uh, restaurant, super white tablecloths. You know, you you got a, a pretty nice dress policy for it and, and all of that. And so, you know, I grew up where we'd interchange which restaurants we went to as a family. And it was always like, I, I, I don't know about you and you can for sure tell me this. If mm-hmm. you're, you're what like when you were with your family, what time do you eat? Uh, it's changed a little bit over the last couple of years. So, uh, when my grandfather was alive, we used to eat around four, four thirty, you know, yeah. cause he was an uh, old school Italian guy. But, um, yeah. as we've, you know, as he, as we passed a couple of years ago, we started eating around five thirty six. So around between five and six generally. Yeah. So my, I'm, and I'm like accustomed to this and it's really funny watching people that I know that are not in my family come 
either over for dinner or something like that because we literally will eat at 9 30 10 o'clock every night wow and the reasoning behind that is because that's when that second or third turn at emeralds would completely die down and we could come in and my dad could finish up expediting and finish up watching the pass and then come over after he finished and sit with us wow all right and so that's why um that's why that's that's like that which is um you know pretty cool and so um the food culture has definitely influenced me a lot in in new orleans but the funny thing is um creole food i can cook anything under the sun of creole food that we've done in in our restaurants um because it was one of the base things that my dad said i had to learn before i did anything else Mm -hmm. and i can cook anything creole under the sun but i i'm not like i won't go to a cajun creole restaurant and order gumbo or order something you know something like that because i just i can't it's it's just weird it's a weird thing for me yeah 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 that definitely makes sense it's for me you know coming from buffalo obviously the buffalo wing in all of its glory and prime i can't yeah. go out and order like a buffalo wing from buffalo wild wings or another chain restaurant exactly so exactly it has to be if it's somewhere else it has to be like a local place that's doing it because there are good buffalo wings outside of Buffalo, but there's nowhere I would go for a chain restaurant and just order wings. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's great, man. Um, so it's kind of funny hearing you talk because, you know, my, when I was younger, my dad was telling me to like, you know, well, you have to learn, you know, before you're older, you have to go to school and stuff. But it seems like your dad was telling you, you know, you have to learn Creole cuisine and do all this. So what, it, like, how like at such a young age did you know you wanted to be in the food industry? And was there ever anything else you wanted to do? Um, so when I was like really little, I was a really avid like soccer player. I, you know, every kid has that dream that they're going to be some professional sports player. And so I sat there till I was like eight and was like, yeah, I'm going to be a professional sports player, mm-hmm. um, which obviously is not happening. Uh, <laughs> I can, you know, that's just not happening. Um but I mean, I, I like architecture. I like design, like that type of things. And I think that's where some of my create creativity comes from for cuisine, which is kind of cool. Um, my dad and I um, both played music. I self-taught myself how to play the piano when I was like 10. Okay. Um, and I played drums and I can play a little bit of guitar and that type of thing. And my dad actually, before he went to Johnson and Wales, because my dad was the first class at Johnson and Wales. That's awesome. Man. Crazy. <laughs> Before he went to Johnson and Wales, he had a full ride to the Boston Conservatory of Music and he turned it down to go to culinary school. And his Portuguese mother almost killed him. Really? Wow. Oh yeah. Well, my my um my dad grew up, his dad worked four jobs. His mom was a seamstress and uh, he had um two siblings. They lived in a really, really, really small house in Fall River, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. and my dad started working in a Portuguese bakery uh, when he was 12, um, 12 or 11. And, um, yeah, he just rolled with it, and he loved it. But it was a hobby at that point. And he became, you know, a line cook up there and all that, and then he got to the age where he was going to leave to go to play music in college, and he said he wanted to cook. And his mom didn't find that very, uh, you know. yeah. Yeah. wasn't probably the best option because she had to pay for it. They had to pay for it instead of it was being paid for, you know. Mm-hmm. And so seeing him work so much, even at a young age, but I mean, the, the amount he works, I, I, I often tell people when my dad was 
uh, working when I was younger, it would be months at a time where I wouldn't see him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was kind of cool to start off in the industry. I started going to Emeralds um, with my dad and I would just kind of be there. I'd either stand behind him as he was running the pass or um, I would do pastry. The first time I ever worked at Emeralds, um, I did some pastry stuff and then I did uh, like a little bit of grill and burned a bunch of stuff. And I was <laughs> like five years old, okay. six years old. And it, I'm, I'm not like saying there was like sitting there in service, like, you know, banging it out on the grill. Mm. I went over there and like threw something on the grill, like in between the lunch and the dinner service and burnt it. And so it like, it wasn't ever told to me, but it was kind of like the golden kitchen rule. It was like stick to pastry mm-hmm. um, okay. until, until we think you can handle a hotline, which was really funny. Um, so I did a lot of pastry stuff. Uh, I wasn't the best at that. You know, I hate chocolate work just because it melts in your hand as you're working with it. Yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> Cannot stand it. So um, I obviously need to uh, train a little bit uh, in that more. But uh, to get on the hotline, I, I just had to keep going. And I was always with my dad when he would cook for people, when we would do dinners at our house for people, when we would do dinner at our house for ourselves. Um, my dad was very influential in me getting into the food industry, but he never forced it upon me. Okay. He wasn't ever like, you have to be a chef. Mm-hmm. He showed me, he showed me what I had to know. And he always used to say this. He said, even if you don't want to be a chef, at least you'll know how to cook for the rest of your life. You'll be able to make, you know, gumbo on a Sunday if you want to for your friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, it wasn't really until we got before we opened the restaurant here in Miramar Beach, which is an Italian restaurant that we sway a little bit from, uh, especially with the tasting menus that I do. Um, when we got really close to opening, I really talked to my dad and I was like, I really want to be a chef. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, oh, no, like we have another one. <laughs> and I... um you know, I, I just felt really passionate about it. And I always used to go in, you know, when I was like nine, 10, and I'd go in an expo with my dad. One of my favorite memories that I think really kind of made me want to become a chef for real. I'd always had it in the back of my mind, but it was something that I like, this is what I chose is because we had the 25th anniversary dinner of Emeralds in 2015. Okay. And I just, I could not believe it was like watching a ballet. It was just incredible. And to watch my dad sitting there, and my dad's very rustic. Like, he's not going to pull out a pair of J.B. Prince tweezers on you. Very <laughs> rustic. Yeah. So, you know, he's sitting there, but he's plating. It's, it's, it's great. It looks phenomenal. And it's classic. And I'm sitting there watching them plate the Andouille Crusted Redfish. And I'm like, that is cool, man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, maybe I do want to do this. So we opened the restaurant here and, and, um, you know, I started expoing a little bit more here. Um, I actually ended up training some people how to expo here, which was kind of funny. They having to listen to me, which was really funny. Um, but 
you know, I had done that because I wasn't, I wasn't training anybody on how to make bechamel or anything because, you know, I wasn't the the best cook. Yeah. And, um, but I could expedite. And that's really what got me in the door at the kitchens because I could, you know, if they needed help, I could come in and, and help them expedite. And that was really the only thing they like bounced on me, you know? And, um, then I was like, I have to learn, you know, basics and everything. So I, I bought a bunch of books. I got a bunch of books from my dad and I just read, 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 read. And I'm not saying that you can sit here and be a, an average person and read professional chef from CIA and, you know, win three Michelin stars the next week. Like it doesn't work like that, Yeah. but it's practice, it's repetition, it's taste, it's developing a palate. I had a, I have a crazy palate because, you know, I'm so fortunate enough to be able to go around with my dad and eat at ridiculous restaurants. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Um, I mean, one of my fondest food memories is I was six years old and went and did a wine dinner and tasting at Cafe Baloo and Chef Danielle cooked. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So that was, that was really crazy. Um, yeah. And, and so that's how I really decided that I wanted to be in the food industry at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that it was probably about 11 or 12 years old that I really decided that I was going to, that I was going to cook. And I really started going after it. Great. Great. Um, yeah. I mean, that experience as a whole is something that's going to set you up for so much in life. Um, but you touched upon how your dad, uh, when he was, younger how his mom didn't want him to cook and i just wanted to say like your dad you know through his perseverance through the food network and his personality has opened up the floodgates for cooks i mean when i'm at, when we're in school and the chefs that you know were teaching us were like you know years ago no one wanted to be a cook it was like a you know job that was just there yeah it was a frowned upon thing you know everybody my dad used to tell me he would be made fun of yep, yep. um for being a cook but like people like him opened it up for young cooks like us. So just definitely very grateful for that. And it's just very nice to hear that, you know, your dad didn't just push it on you, that you, you kind of found it on your own, but you also had these great experiences. So that was, that's great to hear. And those are great stories. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it is, it is in my blood, man. That's, <laughs> that's what it's all about. Awesome. So you stated you read a lot of cookbooks and food related materials. So what are some of your favorite books? Um, so that's actually like my entire bedroom is just, it's surrounded with cookbooks. Um, the best book that I have, um, some of my favorites, really. When we were opening the Italian uh, restaurant, I read a lot um, of Italian books that I'm not even going to try to say. Mm-hmm. But a lot of, uh, I mean, we went to Italy to do a little, you know, research and I bought every Italian cooking book I could see that was under, you know, 10 euro. Mm-hmm. And I had like, you know, 75 euro or something and just went around and was just buying books. So read those. Uh, those were really good. I liked those, especially for what we were doing at the time. My favorite books right now, um, Tim Rowell has a book um, called My Way. Okay. Uh, Tim Rowell is the two Michelin star chef in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's kind of famous for being on uh, 
Chef's Table on Netflix. Yeah, I saw his episode. It was yeah. very so interesting. So I, I had actually, I had been to his restaurant before. Um, or my, my Not me. My dad had been to his restaurant before. I had seen uh, the Netflix uh, special. And um, it was just really inspiring because I had the menu online. I looked that up and it was a lot of cool flavors that I didn't realize, you know, almost qualified for that if that mm. makes sense. And so to read that book, that was really, really cool. He has a lot of modern uh, techniques for that, which I find uh, pretty cool. Um, the French Laundry Cookbook's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite visual cookbook, um, I actually had it sent to me, which was really, really cool. Um, it's the 11 Madison Park Next Chapter book. It's the two two book bundle set thing okay uh and they 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 actually sent that to us and signed a note to me in it which was really cool um and that is that is just visually that's a phenomenal book and for anybody that's listening that doesn't want to go out and and, and buy the book and then you don't have somebody to send it to you uh they they have it online it's on a bunch of websites that you can actually just look it up um and find the recipes and stuff and uh, I'm not saying that I go into these books and like take recipes out of them because that would be absolutely ridiculous. But when you see the plating of that 11 Madison Park book, you just think about what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. That's really amazing. Um, I have uh, the Japan cookbook. That's a really, really good one. Yeah, that's probably um, going to be my next purchase. Yeah, that's it's, it's such a good book. Um. I have the Escoffier book, uh, which is, you know, obviously a very classic book. And I like taking very classic dishes and reworking them. I think that's really, really quite fun to do. Um, Taste and Technique is a good book. Um, Simple Cuisine is a good book. I like White Heat. I find that uh, a really entertaining book. Um, on the yeah. subject of British chefs, uh, Ramsey's Three Star Chef book is really, really cool. Uh, I like reading that. Um, Waters did uh, The Art of Simple Food. That's a really, really good one. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I stick to classical ones, but also bring in, you know, a lot of modernist uh, ones because I find that I try to find the, the mix between the two. Okay. And I think a lot of people are trying to do that now, too. And I think a lot of people are being very, very, very successful with that. Awesome. Yeah, for me, um, I will always say that the most underrated food book that's been released in the last couple of years is uh, Something to Food About by Questlove. Um, I heard that that's a really good book. Yeah, I loved it. It was just basically he interviewed a bunch of chefs about their creative processes. Uh, there's a lot of cool pictures in there. I mean, I, I love the book, and not a lot of culinarians have read it. But I think, I mean, that I know of anyway, but obviously yeah. you've read it. But I just think it's a great book to have. Um, on Vegetables by Jeremy Fox. His uh, first two pages on what he needs in the kitchen were amazing for me. So those are the two books that if you don't have, I would suggest getting. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely get into that for sure. Um, but yeah, so um, obviously your dad is Emerald, as we've said before. But how was uh, growing up knowing his role in the food industry? Um and how did you kind of take it all in, you know, growing up? Because obviously you've had a lot of experiences and you've got to go to a lot of cool places and, 
you know, him being on the road a lot or filming or working in the kitchens. How did that kind of play out for you when you were growing up? Well, when I was really, really young, I'm talking like three, four, I didn't really understand it. I just knew my dad was on TV. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't aware. Like, I didn't realize, like, when we went to Food Emporium in New York, why people would stop him and take pictures with him. Okay. Like, I didn't understand that. Um, and it wasn't until I probably got, like, five or six that I started to understand it. When I was five, I went on Emerald Live for the first time, and we cooked together. We made fish in a pouch, we made awesome. brownies, and we made uh, linguine and clams. That sounds and, good. Um, it is it was the first time that I was on that show and I didn't realize it until I walked in there and saw the people that I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and it was funny enough, the last two seasons of Emerald Live, I was on a few little episodes. I had been on them before, but not to the extent that I was like, actually had a microphone pinned to me and was talking. Yeah. Um, so that's what, what happened uh what happened then and that was that was cool to be able to be on the on the shows and stuff it's kind of funny to look back at now you know i had a lisp it was really funny um and i mean it's a it's a cool thing to be able to have witnessed um it's cool now because we have people every time we see them oh bring back emerald eye bring back essence of emerald and um you know we just I, I let, obviously, uh, Chef make his own choices. And so then, you know, um, we, I, I, I would work with him on anything that he wants me to. Um, mm -hmm. And I worked with him then on anything that he wanted me to or learn anything that he wanted me to. Um, in fact, uh, his, well, his newest show, uh, which is called Eat the World, it came out like a year and a half ago. It won two Emmys. Um, it was, you know, he traveled around. He took a chef buddy with him, and he and he went around and 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 ate. Have you seen that um, show by any chance? I have not. No, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, okay, awesome. I will definitely I look at it. Totally check it out. Um, my favorite episode. He goes to Spain uh, with Jose Andres, and that was really cool because they go and and go to the laboratory of Fran Adra, which was just so incredible. I did see that. I saw the clip on YouTube of him going uh, with uh, Jose Andres. So, yeah, that's yeah. A, a cool one. But uh, yeah, I definitely will check that out. I actually just wrote it down as on my list to watch on Amazon Prime because oh. I have Amazon Prime and I never use it. So that's awesome. Yeah, but um, so I guess do you relate to others your age because of I guess so when I was fifteen, I started working at Wendy's. And that was like my first foray into food. And I didn't really have the work ethic that I have now. And I didn't have the drive per se mm -hmm. to have now, but cause you're at such a young age and you're working so hard and obviously you go to school and then right after you go to the restaurant, um, what, like, can you relate to others your age or do you kind of lean towards people more experienced in the industry or do you have a lot of friends outside of cooking? Like what's your, I guess, mentality on all that? Um, I actually have like no friends outside of cooking. Uh, it's really weird because I'm friends with like, you know, 20, 30 somethings that are all working in kitchens. Um, I text back and forth, um, with a bunch of line cooks from places that I've worked and I've developed kind of a relationship like, uh, like that with a lot of, uh, people. So I have friends, but they're just not my age. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know every time I go up to New York I try to meet up with with uh, some of the guys and gals that I know from working at places and and you know either go get dinner or go get lunch or something like that and and you know always just kind of catch up and talk about how work's been um and you know I try to we we call every now and then some of us but uh, I just actually we were just texting like uh last night actually I was texting almost all of the line cooks and one or two of the sous chefs at La Bernadette because we have the Cayman cookout coming up next week. And um, so we're all meeting up down there and I'm bringing, or uh, I'm bringing a few of uh, my cooks from, from here um, with our chef from here. And, uh, and then uh, my dad's meeting us there and we're going to have a really, really solid time. We've been doing that the last four years mm-hmm. um, and it's really, really, really fun. Okay. So, I have connections with people outside of work that don't work at my restaurant here. Awesome. Like at, at in, in our restaurant here, we I, I don't have any uh, friends per se that I would like hang out with outside of school, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think it's fun to come and see me work in the kitchen because we have an open kitchen. And so they come in to eat and they just see me running around, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I have people that I know of at school that will come to the restaurant and, and all of that and request to see me and things like that. And, um, you know, I, I don't think they realize that it's, it's a job. It's not like I'm, you know, in there messing around. I'm, you know, I, I run the tasting menu at this restaurant. So to, to write the menu, to execute the menu, to show other people how to execute the menu when I'm not there. Um, that's what I'm doing 95% of the time when I'm there, the other time, you know, I'm acting as an assistant to the Sues and the, in, in the exec. Awesome. And, uh, so I guess, how do you, uh, keep relationships in work or like, I guess my question is because obviously it's stressful and I'm sure you're tired. Like, how do you keep yourself positive and engaged after going to school all day and then going to work? Um, well, I, I try to get, I've never gotten good sleep. Like I've never been a good sleeper in my entire life. Um, and so like I can, I can have a four hour sleep and be solid and good to go for like 30 hours. Okay. And I know that sounds weird, but it's, it's true. I, I can get in a kitchen and, and, and I get really excited because I just, I just love cooking and I always have. Mm-hmm. And it's always been, you know, my, my passion and so i guess when you have the drive and the passion you could you could do anything you know if you have the drive and the passion to be you know and not to knock it if you're a garbage man and you have the drive and the passion to be a garbage man then you know be at it be the best you can be of a garbage man you know what i mean yeah so it's always striving in my sense to be the best that i could be and always improving and always um you know an old friend of mine um, that I used to work at the, the first kitchen at Emeralds. Uh, he was one of the old suits and he was tiring. Um, he actually, he was like, you know, crazy dude, wore Doc Martens in the kitchen. Um, really cool guy. And he told me, you will always be able to learn something from anybody in the kitchen. And so we took that and it's actually kind of in our service philosophy now that we pass out when you become an employee at the restaurant here. Mm-hmm. And um, because it is difficult. Because I'm in a middle ground, you know, I'm not a Sue. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a position, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I'm a, I'm a cook at the restaurant, 
and that that sounds degrading and Connor and I actually said something about that because um you know using the word chef and cook is kind of degrading like if you if you if you say oh that's a chef and that's a cook mm-hmm. I think it's kind of ridiculous to say that because at the end of the day we're all chefs we're all cooks yeah it just depends on which one you want to call it you know what mm-hmm. I mean in my opinion and so in in the kitchen I see a lot of you know people that will come in and you have a line cook that walks over to the chef de cuisine and says hi chef and then the chef replies you know um hey sarah or hey john you know and so and, and i'm not saying that's happened at our restaurant here i'm just saying that's you know something that you see a lot yeah of course one of my things is i always put either chef before somebody's name or call him chef i see mm. a line cook walk in the door i say morning chef how are you um because I think it brings up morale and it brings up uh, attitude and, and, and everything for, for that day and to push people through service. Um, because we're not a fine dining restaurant, even though sometimes with our tastings, we try to make it seem like it. We're not a fine dining restaurant here. And so we're in that middle ground as I am when it comes to working in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, after sitting there for, you know, 15 years and watching my dad uh, run a pass and cook and all that, you pick up on things that he would point out to people. My okay. dad's very big on clean plates and they have to be steaming hot. Like he wants you to burn yourself. Um, so if a plate's not hot, when I'm expoing, I'll send it back and, and get a new plate, get it replated, or I'll call somebody out on you know the caramel being in the wrong place on the banana cream pie being on the rim of the plate because nobody likes to eat from the rim of the plate mm-hmm. um, and you know and that kind of thing and at the beginning when you have a new cook um that comes in they kind of look at me like you know who is this dude yeah what is he doing and um you know i'm not in there being rude it's just something that has to be to be said something that has to be done Mm-hmm. Um, at that at, and, and that moment in time if I'm put in charge of the kitchen while the exec is either you know maybe out of town or the Sues are out of town or one of them's you know run off to go get something out of the walk-in and I'm in charge for that you know five minutes even or even if there's a full night that I am which happens frequently um, I'm gonna I, I have to make sure that I you know uphold the standards that my dad would have there awesome yeah I've kind of you know, obviously, starting Line Cook Thoughts podcast and Line Cook Nation, I've kind of become obsessed with the words cook and chef. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I started culinary school, my parents would call me a chef. And when I graduated, and I would correct them. And I still do sometimes to this day. Like, no, I'm a cook. I'm not a chef. Yeah. Um, and I really have embraced. And I, I love Justin's look on it. And I, his video on it is fascinating. Uh, Justin Conda's video on the word chef and cook. Um, for everyone listening, you should really go check it out. For me, I've embraced Line Cook Nation. Um, that's, that's kind of like a hashtag as a symbol of everyone in the industry, like yeah. the everyday cooks and all and whatnot. Because I do think there's a lot of chefs out there, like you said, who don't see cooks on the same level as they are. And um, I think the industry is gearing up to where everyone will be known or known as chef. Mm-hmm. But um, for now, I think you know, saying like you know, we're part of like the Line Cook Nation, or you're a cook. I think it's for me, it's a very humbling thing to say because. At the end of the day, that's all we really are is we're providing for other people. 
Exactly. And, but on, you know, on the flip side of it, being called a chef is a big deal. Um, I met Thomas Keller my first year of culinary school mm-hmm. and I went to go shake his hand and he gave me a fist bump you know, and he was like, hey, chef, what's up? And that kind of changed my whole framework on the word chef because here is one yeah. of the best chefs in the world calling me chef, you know, just starting culinary school. So um, yeah. it's great to hear that you kind of show people that respect of calling them chef and understanding that. And I'm really excited for the future generation of cooks and chefs or whatever we want to be called to kind of have that same groundwork and that respect. So, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, speaking on the future generation of chefs for just a second, they, um, you know, I, I've met quite a few people um, that are really young, either my age. I know one guy younger that is an amazing cook. Um, and, you know, maybe a year older than me, two year older than me. And they are just really, really, really solid cooks. Um, there's the 19 year, I think he's 19. I might be wrong on that, but the dude that owns and runs the like 11 seat restaurant, New York gym. Okay. Um, and he got like, I think he got like a bib gourmand or something in the Michelin guide this year. He's 19. Wow. Uh, and he worked at, uh, 11 Madison and a few other places. And the dude is, is, is crazy good. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to see young people going out there and doing stuff that matters, mm-hmm. um, especially with this knock that young people in my generation get, you know, we're either just on our phones or playing video games or, you know, yep. doing stupid stuff like that. And to see a few of us go out here, and try to make names for ourselves in an industry that's run by people that are normally over the age of 30. It's a big, it's a big thing. And I find that super cool and and super humbling to be in a group of people that are, that are like that. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is inspiring. Um, So the podcast I'm releasing today, because we are recording this on a Sunday, uh, has to do with two of my close friends, Olivia and Adam, and they're opening a restaurant in indiana uh, and it's going to be an italian restaurant focusing on the 20 regions of italy because cool. they both took a school trip and olivia's 21 she'll be the executive chef and adam's 22 and he'll be like the front of house manager that's awesome and i hope you give time to listen to the podcast because we talk about even though they're young how they're ready and even though that maybe they're not experienced as everyone else like when is the best time to open a restaurant and try your own thing so <laughs> it's definitely people like them that inspire me to kind of do the podcast and you know, put other cooks on the podcast or on the Instagram page. But um, I really would love to hear your thoughts on the conversation we've had. Uh, I'll be releasing it today. So you'll definitely have to keep me updated. Yeah, I will for sure. So uh, what is your plan for the next 10 years? Because obviously now, and we're going to get into more of, you know, how you write tasting menus and stuff. Mm -hmm. But obviously now you are helping to cook in a restaurant and help leading a brigade. What do you want to see from yourself in the next 10 years? Well, 10 years from two months from now, I'll be 26 years old. Um, I, if, if, if it was a perfect world, I would like to be running a restaurant, my own restaurant at that point. Okay. If it was a perfect world, my dad was, became the executive chef at commander's palace when he was like 22. Um, and so 
I would love to be done with school, do some sort of college for a little bit, some business, maybe something like that. Um, and, and really get a focus going to be able to run uh, a restaurant solo with the help of a really solid team. Okay. Um, you know, I would love to go move to New Orleans when I graduate high school here next year and um, work in the restaurants that I worked in when I was five and six and, you know, kind of move forward in that sense and, um, you know, um, get get ready to, to, to do that and to be able to lead a brigade of my own and, and have my own brigade and, and uh, my own menu and, and everything where, you know, you, once you get to that level, you can call your shots. And I'm a firm believer that you don't move forward without doing things risky. And so, um, yeah, you make the choice that scares you the most because yeah. that's the only way you grow. Yes, definitely. Awesome, man. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll get Absolutely. back to the conversation, all right? Absolutely. Thank you. All right, EJ. We're back on the Line Cook Thoughts podcast. Awesome, man. All right, so before I get into the next question, I just wanted to talk a little bit about – so basically when I grew up, um, I remember watching uh, your dad's Halloween special with my mom. <laughs> um, and he just – you know, great food shows like that. So there definitely were some – cooks when I grew up on TV that inspired me and got me interested in cooking. Um, and definitely, you know, obviously, you know, Anthony Bourdain was a big inspiration of mine. Yeah, but um, definitely there's a changing of the guard, even on TV. And so nowadays, I really don't watch a lot of cooking shows because they're not the cooks I grew up with or the celebrity chefs yeah. I grew up with. Yeah. Um, but what? So I guess my next question is, what do you say to the cooks who think that celebrity TV cooking is just you know, you go in for a meal, you record your meal, and you're done for the day. Because I feel like a lot of cooks who are working these long hours, they're like, oh, man, what a glamorous life to be on TV and cooking. But obviously, you know, what you said with your dad, he never stopped working. So I guess, what can you say to the cooks who kind of degrade or kind of give backlash to on TV cooking? Yeah, well, I mean, there's like a stigma um, towards, you know, TV chefs, as you're saying, and and it's believed that it's, you know, rainbows and roses and they, they go in and record a show and, you know, they read off a teleprompter and they dice some onions and throw it and sweat it. And then some dude brings them another one from the back line and then they're done. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really, it's nothing like that at all. Um, Food Network never gave a plan for what they wanted Emerald Live to consist of that day. It would be my dad, he would sit down that week. Um, have you ever seen how like SNL is written? Like I've they, seen SNL, but not how it's written. No. Yeah, like they go in on like a Tuesday, okay. and they start writing, and then they have a final script by like Thursday, and then they go in, they film on Saturday. With them live, it was that, but condensed into every other day because they would film on. So let's say they'd film on a Monday, then they'd come up with the ideas for the Wednesday show on a Tuesday. And really? it would be like that all week. They'd film two, even four shows a day sometimes. Mm -hmm. And my dad would sit in the green room. And he had a little like golf machine thing. And he would take a whack at the golf club thing. 
and he doesn't golf. He just had it in his thing. Um, and he'd take a whack at the golf club thing, and then he would read over the script one time. Like, it's the first time he's seen the final script, he'd read over it one time, and he'd be able to go out and do the whole show without re-looking at the script or reading a teleprompter. Wow. It's <laughs> impressive. Um, and that's just, I guess that's just, like, muscle memory of just, like, being able to do that for so long. Um, and, you know, a lot of cooks that are your age would come in and, you know, when we when we meet them somewhere, it's, you know, Chef Emerald, you, you know, inspired me to become a chef or something along those lines. And my dad finds that really, really amazing and humbling. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing you will, you'll, uh, you wouldn't notice, but I, I notice it because I'm always around him. Um, one thing you'll see is that my dad, we will go somewhere. Let's say we go to a, a football game in New Orleans. Let's just use that as an example. We go to a football game in New Orleans, and he is getting bombarded with pictures. Like, yeah. can't walk three steps without somebody being like, oh, my God, let's take a picture. Yeah. And obviously that it would aggravate anybody if you're trying to get somewhere and, and that, you know, you keep getting stop, 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 stop every three feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so with my dad, it's always like the first like 10 are cool. And then he starts getting a little aggravated after like, you know, 11. And I mean, not to the point where like the person taking the picture is going to notice, but like just as his son, like I know he's getting aggravated to like look at me some way or something. And you will never see that happen with a cook mm-hmm. he could walk in a kitchen on a cruise ship with a thousand cooks and would have no problem taking a picture with each of them okay no problem yeah, taking a with each of them. that's awesome yeah i mean when i met thomas i got to meet him three times during my time at school and i still don't have a picture you know with him so i know i from hearing you know people speak about it, I definitely think it could be annoying, but it's very great that your dad takes the time to kind of appreciate the cooks he's inspired. Um, I guess for me, when I was younger, you know, definitely, I remember the first thing I ever really cooked was my mom taught me how to uh, make scrambled eggs, and I used to put dried parsley on as a garnish. And yeah. I would remember saying, bam, you know, obviously, <laughs> that's kind of an embarrassing childhood story. But there is an, a, an impact that your dad has had on me as a cook in some way. He definitely got me interested in it at such a young age so um yeah i mean you know i don't know if he would ever listen to this but uh thank you to him for that but you know i really respect that hearing that you know not only did he did the, do the show but he'd go cook and then he'd have to you know make some time for his family and i just i could never imagine that type of lifestyle so yeah i mean it's it's a it's a press for sure yeah so i mean that i'm learning so much from our conversation but uh that just gives me a whole newfound respect for, you know, celebrity chefs and especially him, you know, having the restaurants and all that. Uh, how does he, uh, how do you think he manages like so many employees and, you know, the TV shows and the cookbooks and the fans, like how does he manage all that? And, you know, cause 24 hours goes by really quick. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, 24 hours goes by quick for people that are just, you know, that are just cutting Mirapois in the back kitchen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, we have a really good team. Um, we have an, you know, an office uh, in New Orleans that everybody's kind of based out of that has a test kitchen. And, you know, when we're about to open a new restaurant, we go in there and we 
you know, it's a lot of coffee, a lot of Red Bull, a lot of Gatorade, a lot of bunch of stuff. And, you know, it's like you, you order, like you get, you know, this is kind of embarrassing. Uh, you get any idea you have and you go and you write it down on this big old blackboard and we all sit in there and, you know, we'll go and get either food from the restaurants or, you know, one of our chefs lives by this like Popeye's and he'll just stop and get like a ton of Popeye's and we'll just eat Popeye's while we're cooking. Awesome. And we will sit in that test kitchen for weeks at a time and and hammer it out and get a menu done. Awesome. And, you know, on the subject that you were saying about having like a, a stick towards celebrity chefs, um, when uh, Anthony Bourdain published Kitchen Confidential, there's a whole section in Kitchen Confidential that talks about celebrity chefs. Mm-hmm. There are some very direct shots towards uh, Chef Emerald. Yeah. Then, and it kind of started this beef, which I'm I'm not gonna lie, there was a beef for a little bit. Okay. Um. I mean, it was like calling each other out in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, like it was a whole bunch of stuff. Really. Well. Um. Uh, Tony had actually critiqued Emeralds saying that it wasn't, it was a celebrity chef's restaurant. It wasn't good. And he'd actually not even been to the restaurant. Hmm. Um, so that, that is some stuff that happened, but it, it, it passed by in two years and we got a full on letter from Tony. He came out publicly and said that he didn't understand, um, you know, what it was that chef Emerald did and that, and, you know, and then, the bromance, you know, flowered from there because, um, you know, Tony Bourdain wrote my dad's script on Treme, which was a show that they did in New Orleans. And he wrote that and, uh, you know, we did the Cayman cookout together all the years. And that was actually the last time that I saw, uh, chef Bourdain was, um, last year's Cayman cookout. There's a picture like down the ways on my Instagram that you guys can find. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a picture of me, chef Emerald, chef Bourdain, chef Daniel. And, uh, Chef Eric Repair, and it's all of us on the beach, and we're sitting there. And it's a picture of all of us in Chef Way. Awesome. And um, that was the last time that I saw uh, Chef Bourdain. And crazy part of that, I was at La Bernadette working when we got the news about Chef Bourdain, and so I got kind of two perspectives of it. Yeah, because I got like my dad texted me and was like. Hey, have you seen anything on the news yet? I was like, no, I haven't. I've been sitting here, you know. Uh, I was actually working uh, with the saucier at Laburnadin that day, Vinny. And um, then I, then it came into perspective that, well, Repair is the one that found him. And then, oh, my God, I'm working for Repair right now. Okay. It was like that kind of, that kind of view. I was like, wow. It was just, it was really crazy yeah i mean i remember i was out in my Cal- in california uh, for my last semester of school uh in my dorm room and found out and it was just crushing you know he was a voice for a lot of the industry and he did say a lot of brash things and a lot of you know but, obviously i'm glad that you're 
dad and him were able to get over the beef. Oh, but, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, but mad respect to both of them. Um, man, if they had social media back then, that beef would have been... <laughs> I know, right? It would have been everywhere. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, And so I guess moving forward, what I want to do is I want you to tell me uh, how do you get inspired when you write tasting menus? What are some themes you've done or dishes you've done? What are the ones that you're proud of? Just, you know, just tell me about the food you cooked and the menus. Um, well, for for tasting menus, I, I, I pull from a lot of um, memories. I like cooking memories. I think it's a pretty cool thing to do. Um, if somebody walks in and says, we want a tasting that's not on the menu, like we don't want the tasting menu, we want a separate tasting, like a special, you know, something maybe for a VIP or something like that. Um, I normally will pull from Portuguese dishes that my grandmother would cook or that my dad cooked when I was younger. Okay. Um, I like that sea flavor a lot. I love using, um, like anchovy oil and things like the actual oil that the anchovies sit in. I love using that to cook scallops and things like that in it. Um, really? Hmm. Last week I did uh, like this uh, red mullet dish that was uh, half shelled and I basically confited in the anchovy oil and it was just so amazing. And I, I after I cooked it through uh, in the oil, I pulled it and took a blowtorch to the skin and made it like super crispy and it was just really really nice and i served it with a like a beet bermonte and it was just so good that sounds good um and so i i'm just really into cooking memories and cooking things that taste good because if it tastes good and it looks good you've got a winning dish and uh you know um uh, Daniel Holm has a really good philosophy on that and, you know, being creative, it pushing something forward for food because he's really into doing like things that shouldn't be savory dishes, but as savory dishes, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, like caviar cheesecake, like the sturgeon uh, cheesecake thing. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really cool. I love optical illusions, uh, which is you know, a reason that I really like uh, Alinea's food and stuff. Um, I love optical illusions. Um, okay. So I think it's really cool when something is something that it doesn't seem it is. Okay. I think it's surprising to the palate. Uh, the other night I did a ham uh, dish, like a Spanish ham dish. And it was with, um, like, I basically did the reverse spherification thing to make caviar but i did cantaloupe caviar and it looked like trout roe so then i bought trout roe and put the two on the dish so they looked the same but then you bite into two ones that are next to each other and it's cantaloupe and the trout roe i had the trout roe on one side and the cantaloupe on the other wow um so it looked they looked exactly the same um and i thought it was really cool because it was like the ham and then it just looked like it was covered in trout roe, but then it had that flavor profile that everybody knows and loves that it's at every, you know, family Italian restaurant, which is, you know, some sort of ham or prosciutto or anything served with melon. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You have to send me a picture of that. Yeah, absolutely. To see that. Um, the last two are the posts that you uh, tagged me and you've been using Fresno peppers a lot. Uh, why Fresno peppers? Uh, Fresno peppers are really easy for us to get um, here. Um, 
through our local farms and things are really, really easy to get. Um, and I like them. I think, you know, they have a very, they have a good heat to them. Like it's not going to kill you. <laughs> heat, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I like taking the seeds and stewing them down. I did these, um, this shrimp dish the other day with uh, red bell pepper juice and sun-dried tomato juice. And then I stewed the, um, the Fresno uh, pepper seeds in it and then strained it off through a cheesecloth and made this really nice uh, sauce with it. And so I like using the different aspects of them. I think I have two dishes right now that I tagged you in that have uh, the Fresno in them. There's a little bit of Fresno in the salsa for the octopus dish. Okay. Uh, and then there's the Fresno that was on the scallop dish with the ham hock and peas that I uh, that I tagged you and that's a that's a cool uh, dish we have a lot of I have a lot of uh, dishes right now that we've taken pictures of I just haven't decided whether or not I'm going to post them maybe I'll send those to you later and get your yes. uh, opinion on them um, but we just got a new like light box thing to take pictures in so we're going to be doing a lot more you know um, pictures for the food for sure that's great. Uh, what does your uh, dad think of your dishes? Because, you know, you were saying how he has a more classical approach, and it seems like you're going for more modern takes, obviously being inspired by Daniel Hume and the other chefs in the city or down in Florida or wherever they may be. Yeah. So what does he think on – or what, is, what are his thoughts on your new take on food? Um, his whole thought process behind it was kind of learn the, learn the classics first. Okay. If you if you if you know the classics, and I'm not saying I've mastered the classics, but if I know the classics, and I know my way around them, then you can have a base to almost anything. Because and that almost ties back into me saying that I like cooking from memory. Because mm-hmm. you have people and you're cooking for people in New Orleans, and you make you know a trout almondine or something like that. Um, very, they're gonna they've had that dish before. They've had that, but if you can reinvent that. It's it, it adds something for them to, to take out of the meal. It's memorable. It's more memorable than just going somewhere and having a trout almondine. If you have, you know, a crazy version of trout almondine. Mm-hmm. And, um, but my dad is very open to, uh, you know, seeing me have a modernist approach to things, which I think is really cool. Uh, you know, he'll give me some banter in the kitchen about using tweezers and stuff. And um, funny enough, we're actually... Uh, we're helping open a restaurant in New York right now. I'm not really supposed to talk about that, but I'll say that uh, we're helping opening a restaurant in New York right now. And if you follow my dad on Instagram, anybody that's listening or, or you yourself, right. Um, you'll see that he has been in New York for like six weeks and he has been, and he called me last night and he's like, everybody up here uses tweezers. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. And he was like, it's kind of cool actually. And so I contacted JB Prince and now I have them making emerald green tweezers to give him as a joke. Really? <laughs> so That's awesome. uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty funny. Uh, a funny story about converting people to tweezer use, which I find like the most hysterical thing ever. I, uh, our head, our executive chef here, uh, his name's Frank Samansky. Um, uh, he, he tagged you in a post last night for his, uh, yeah, I saw that. So that's our that's that's my chef was in here. He's a really awesome guy, super guys from Mississippi, but he's well traveled and he's and he's and he's a fantastic cook. And um, last night 
he wanted to do a modernist tasting menu. So he wanted to get in on the tasting menu with me. So we did one off of our own tasting menu and did a completely separate one. And we used tweezers the whole time. And he was like, I was just dying laughing because I'm like, this dude that gives me crap every day about using tweezers is sitting here using dry ice tweezers, like offset spatulas. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I was very impressed yeah. by his uh his Instagram because he's got 952 followers and six posts. So yes, yes. And so what ended up happening is my dad, my dad, and it's the, kind of the same thing that happened to me. I was private until like two years ago when I started really posting food pictures and stuff. I was private on Instagram. Then I became unprivate. My dad started tagging me in posts, and over yeah. two years. It's like I have like 21 or 22,000 something followers. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad tagged Frank in a post. I tagged Frank in a post saying like, hey, go check out Frank. He finally has an Instagram. And the dude gets like, he got like 300 something followers from me. And then he got like 700 or something from my dad. That's awesome. And it's like, that is just hysterical, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, for me, it's definitely been interesting um, because you know, my Facebook or my regular Instagram is, I, you know, I have around 900, but so far since starting this, we're coming up to one month uh, tomorrow. Um, I've almost gotten to a thousand. Uh, and it's not for me, it's not about the followers. It's about, you know, engaging with the cooks, but it's definitely been very rewarding to but, get a lot of people. But having the followers, you know, that means you've reached someone. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I look at that. That's not me being Mr. Popular at all. And that's what a bunch of people at school say. And, you know, they're like, oh, my God. you know, why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's not the point. Like, I'm just posting food pictures and people like the pictures. Yes. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's great. And I think your reach can, you know, I feel like you have your Instagram, how it's set up now is good to reach a lot of people and inspire a lot of younger cooks. Um, I, from what I see, I think a lot of young cooks could benefit from you know seeing your story and kind of looking at your instagram and seeing what you do because when i was 16 i never thought i'd be able to do the food i worked on the last couple of years let alone do it at the age i was at then if that makes sense so seeing someone like you is very inspiring to me but also a lot of young cooks so i would yeah, say I, definitely I, I keep saw, pushing yourself i saw some of your um some of your food on your personal instagram and it looked looked really really good and and, and uh you know it's 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 really nice to see that there's more and more and more and more cooks that are really stepping their game up. And I think that says a lot about maybe, you know, how far culinary schools have come. Mm -hmm. um, because I can guarantee you, if you'd have gone to culinary schools in the 70s or the 80s, you would not have come out, you know, that fresh off the bat. And being able to, to do food like that you know what i mean yeah definitely i mean i was very uh gifted to have uh, three mentors i mean i've had a lot of people who affected me but my person my chef in high school got me to the cia and then my chef who i worked for before going to college um connected me with the chef i work for now but i'm sadly leaving this week his name's ross and um he kind of took me under his wing the last two and a half years and taught me all because he worked at LBE and he went to Ubuntu with Jeremy Fox and he worked at Alinea for a little bit. That's awesome. And um, he's kind of just passed down all this knowledge. Uh, a dish we do now that I'm very, very proud of. It's kind of my first dish on the menu with the lamb tartare. 
-hmm. And basically, we uh, sous vide egg yolks at uh, 147 degrees for two hours. Mm -hmm. And then you obviously take the yolks out from the whites and then you let them dry in the walk-in and you put them between acetate and you kind of make like a, a egg yolk valve, we call it. Yep. And you cook it back at 163 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's just stuff, techniques like that that I would never get at school or working at restaurants that weren't about fine dining. Um, so I've really come to appreciate it. I'm a, I've also realized, though, that I really enjoy kind of being a leader in a sense where I like to make decisions and I like to inspire others and try to get people to do their best. So coming from hours away to come eat here. Okay. And so we try to make it as magical and as, you know, amazing as we can. And my dad, and this was really cool when they did the whole, um, uh, there was like a 150 year, the, no, no, it wasn't. It was the tricentennial thing in New Orleans like two months ago with uh, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and everybody came together and um, they did this big like uh, basically like a Q&A okay. and it was uh, Will Gadar from um, 11 Madison and everybody and Will Gadar said about my dad he said have you ever seen Emeril Lagasse give a pre-meal to cooks okay and I didn't know but he goes on because they were asking him how he motivates his staff because there's a bunch of videos online of him giving like pre-meal to the team at 11 Madison Park. Mm-hmm. And it's a really like inspirational, like the way he speaks to them is very inspirational. He said he got some of it from watching a pre-meal that my dad did. So I've sat in on pre-meals since I was like eight. And so I kind of do pre-meals like my dad does. And so I'll, I'll get with the cooks and I'll tell them, Especially when we have a new one, I, I remind them. And I have signs around the kitchen that have, you know, lingo on it and stuff. But when people come to our restaurant, it's not just a dinner. It's not just a lunch. It's an experience. And you have to treat it like that. Okay. It's a different philosophy than being like, they're a customer. This is service. This is food. There it is. Awesome. It's a different mindset. And I think what it does is, you know, obviously you have to gain respect from anybody. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that I've gained some respect from the cooks and it's a lot, you know, it's easier for me to tell them, you know, to, to, to correct them on something that I know from seeing not only our chef de cuisine do it, but my dad do it on something as easy as, you know, wiping the rim of the plate or something like that, to correct them on something like that. They don't give me as much as a hard time as they would because I think they've seen how much we've grown as a restaurant. But then they've also seen me in the kitchen because I'm not just like the kid that's up there expediting. And then every time that a tasting comes in, I just go and do it. Like I hop behind the line, you know, Mm -hmm. a decent amount of times a week. Yeah, you work your ass off. Yeah, and work. I mean, I'm on Christmas break right now until tomorrow, actually. And I've been on it for two and a half weeks. And in the two and a half weeks, I'm at 79 hours. And I've still been out of town for four of those days. Okay. Wow. That's um, great. Yeah. So crazy, crazy hours. Uh, but I love every second of it. And I think they see the passion. And I try to show them things. And they show me things. And that's how everybody learns, I think. Awesome. That's great. Um, and it's... You know, like you said, you, you need to gain respect, but I think when you 
put your head down and work and you kind of try to outwork everyone else, you get that automatically. So for the cooks who like, you know, really know what's going on. So that's great to hear. Um, so my next question is, if you could give advice to someone your age and who's interested in becoming a chef or being a part of an industry, what would it be? Like someone who's maybe 14, 15, yeah. 16, you know, they're thinking about going to college or thinking about going into a restaurant. What would your advice be? You find where you want to go and you set that goal. Once you set that goal, take any means necessary to get to that goal. You have to push yourself to places you did not even think you could go. Um, you know, I, the, fir- the first day that I started at Laburnadam, I showed up five and a half hours early and waited outside on a bench. Okay. And there was a like corner store across the street and I kept walking over to the corner store and I would go to the restroom and literally throw up. I was so anxious and nervous and just wanting to get in the kitchen and go because I knew as soon as I got in the kitchen, I'd be fine. Mm -hmm. I just start doing work, but I was so nervous and I got in there and the team and the greeting was just amazing. I walked in there, you know, chef pants, chef shoes. I'm wearing a t-shirt. I've got, a rolled up chef works coat in my bag, my knives in a backpack. And I walked in the back door and I'm like, Hey, uh, I'm here to do the stage and the stage is supposed to be here at one. And the, the butcher is like, yeah, just go upstairs, walk on the pass. Just tell them you're here. I was like, what? He was like, yeah, just walk up on the pass. I was like, aren't they in lunch service? He's like, yeah, just walk on the pass. So I'm like trembling as I get in this elevator to go upstairs and I pop out. And it wasn't like you have to take a long, like you're out, you're on the pass. Like you walk out of the elevator, you're on the pass. And I was like, uh, hi, chef, how are you? And he's like, hi, I'm Chef Chris. I'm the uh, culinary director here. You're EJ, right? I was like, yes, sir. He's like, all right. And then he grabbed one of the sous and they like showed me around, gave me a locker. And it was the most incredible thing I've ever done. Great. And I spent, you know, my month there and that was really, really incredible. And then I, you know. I got so used to that and showing up and I worked from six in the morning. I'd get there to do sauce and I'd leave at 11 o'clock at night. Awesome. And, uh, you know, I got used to that and then, uh, moved over to restaurant Danielle and I was at restaurant Danielle for a week. Uh, and then I moved over to, um, cafe blue for a few days and worked with Aaron Bladorn, who's a fantastic chef. And, um, it was really inspiring and really cool. And so, to any young chef out there that is listening or any young chef that is thinking about, you know, going into our field, take your chances, shoot the shot and, and, and go with it and do whatever it takes. And that's, that would be my advice. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. That's kind of what I live by is just take a chance. Um, I'm not even sure how I kind of noticed your Instagram. Maybe I started following you and you like to post. I know exactly, but I was like, hey, I'm just going to message this guy and see if he answers. So, and now we're talking and I'm learning so much. So, yeah, I agree with that completely. Yeah, man. Uh, the funny thing is, actually, um, I saw maybe like, I think maybe Justin or somebody had it on their story and I like clicked on it. 
and then I had seen your profile. I didn't follow it at first, and then I, it was like a, two days went by or something like that, and I was tagging people in a post, mm-hmm. um, and I, I typed in cook because I wasn't thinking. I meant to type in chef because I was going to type in the chef life thing or whatever, the chef talk or whatever, and I typed in cook, and line cook thoughts came up, and I was like, oh, that's cool, and I clicked it and tagged it in the post, and then I followed you, and then you sent me that message. Yeah. And uh, and that was really really cool, and I really like your philosophy and your and your your motive behind what you're doing, and I think it's really really cool and inspiring to a lot of people. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it just I like I said, I don't ever think I'll. I'm not disillusioned in thinking I'll be the next Anthony Bourdain, but I do feel like there should be a platform for cooks of all ages and cooks of all experiences, or pe- everyone in the industry. When I say line cook, I mean everyone. I just use Line Cook as like a humbling, like kind of group, but um, of anyone in the industry to come and talk. So, but yeah, thank you for your support. Um, so, speaking of the industry, what is your favorite part of the industry, and what is one part of the industry you wish you could change? Um, I love meeting people, and I love making food that makes people happy. I think that's my favorite thing about the industry. I think that's why most of us do it because we Mm -hmm. like making people happy because I know 95% of cooks would sacrifice their own happiness or well-being to make other people happy. And we do that every day. One thing I wish I, that, that I could change. Um, that's a tough question, actually. (laughs) Yeah. That's a tough question. I mean, I guess in being a young chef, I guess you could say age barriers. Okay. Because I love the fact that here I don't really have that many age barriers and I can work with a, you know, I have a 62-year-old saucier. Mm -hmm. And if I ask him to make shrimp stock and I show him a different way to make shrimp stock, he's totally cool with it. Yeah. And I, I just wish that there was a way that you could standardize philosophy. Okay. And that even goes back to a Charlie Trotter thing, who was a dear friend of my family's. And uh, that is a, that's a old Charlie Trotter thing. If you ever get a chance to read his book, that's a phenomenal book. Yes, that's definitely um, a book that I have to read. I, uh, I love collecting cookbooks. I have, uh, uh, it sounds like your collection is a lot larger than mine, but I've started and, you know, it's been great so far. But there's so much more that I have to read up on. Um, well, thank you for those answers. Uh, so I guess my next question is when you're not cooking and when you're not doing food related activities, which seems like never yeah. in your case, what is a hobby that you enjoy? Um, I like kind of just uh, hanging out with my dad and just kind of chilling and, uh, you know, either watching sports or we go fishing sometimes, which is fun. My dad's a pretty avid fisherman. Um, and so we'll go fishing sometimes or, uh, I like concerts. I go to concerts when I can, uh, especially when they're in New Orleans. It's a kind of easy trip to make over there. Um, yeah, I like music a lot. I listen to a lot of music. I play a lot of music, so I find that, um, you know, fun. And um, the only food-related kind of hobby that I'll say is I do like to go eat. <laughs> I mean, I'll go eat anywhere. I will try anything, man. Um, awesome. Yeah. What um what are some artists you're into? Uh, for music. Uh, I like a lot of like old 
uh, older um, music because it's kind of like what my dad uh, had jamming in the kitchen and stuff, you know, like when everybody's breaking down, he'd like put on the radio or whatever. And um, I like piano music because I play piano. So I like Billy Joel a lot, uh, Elton John, that type of stuff. Um, I actually, uh, this is funny. I listened to Queen, obviously, uh, like a while ago. My dad used to play it on the drums and all sorts of stuff when I was like, you know, really little, like seven, eight. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I've always had it in my playlist. I have like the the actual records of uh, for Queen and stuff. And um, people would, uh, people were like, oh, you just like Queen because that new movie came out. And I'm like, no, no, I've been listening to Queen for quite a while. <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, prove it. And then I'll like play one of the songs on piano and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. What's, uh, what's your go-to Queen song to play on piano? Um, just because everybody starts singing it, Bohemian Rhapsody. It's just funny. Okay, awesome. Yeah, the only song I'll karaoke to is that, so. Yeah, jam yeah. out, man. <laughs> uh, can you tell us a fishing story with you and your dad, Emerald? Because that sounds interesting to me, because I love fishing. Yeah, uh, we like to go out, we fish, uh, and we'll bring it back, and, and we'll cook immediately. Uh, we were actually fishing in this, like, betting fishing tournament, like, two week, two years ago. And we caught this fish that they didn't have in the tournament. And so I literally was like, all right, whatever, and filleted it on the back of the boat. We had ponzu, because of course my dad just brought ponzu. And, <laughs> uh, and there were jalapenos, because they were making some like cocktail or something. And I, uh, I took the jalapenos and the ponzu, and we made like sashimi and just like ate it on the boat. It was so fun. That's awesome. That, that's a great experience to have. Um... That's crazy that your dad carries Ponzu, though. Uh, definitely wondering about that. Yeah, it's my it's like my biggest question. I think he might be in the Ponzu cartel. Like it's a bad, it's a bad thing, man. Awesome. All right, so I kind of started it without giving you a warning, but I'm just gonna just keep asking you, you know, a couple questions for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better on your no worries, more personal side. So, like, I guess we'll start. You don't have to answer quickly, but um, I'm gonna ask you quickly. I guess what is your favorite chain restaurant? You'll find this amusing. I, because I, I just, I get it, you know, all the way back from school or something, because there's one in between the restaurant and there's no really restaurants out on the highway uh, going back to the restaurant from my school. I will stop and get Chick-fil-A, which is like, I mean, I know that's fast food, but that, I mean, I'll get it once a week, maybe like if that, and it's, you know, it's good. I don't mind it. I think it's probably the best fast food out there. Um, and then in terms of like chain restaurants, there's a Mexican chain restaurant that's like big in Texas that's here in Miramar Beach. It's like two doors down from our restaurant called Cantina Laredo. Okay. Uh, and that's a pretty banging uh, Mexican place for sure. Awesome. Yeah. The first time I had Chick-fil-A was actually a couple months ago when I was out in California. And because from being from Buffalo, we don't have any. But we yeah. actually just got one a little less than a month ago. And the lines of overnight people are still there. Like, people are just – it takes six hours to like get through the drive-thru still. So, Dude, it's good, man. I'm not yeah. kidding. Like, it's good, man. Chick-fil-A is definitely one of those things. Um, what? So, when you're – I guess you kind of already answered this, but when you cook for yourself after a long service, what's your go-to maybe – or a snack before you go into work, like an after-school snack or an after-service snack? What do you go to? Um, I always pack Kind Bars in my – in my bag uh, at school, 
which is really funny because I have two backpacks and I leave them in the car. Um, I have one backpack that is filled with books. And the other is filled with knives. If I mess up on which backpack is which, I get in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> but I pack a kind bar in there and I'll, I'll slam that down on the way to, uh, to work, drink a, a bottle of water and then hop in and go to work. And then I will come home and a really good like filling meal. I'll make like pasta carbonara just to go to bed. <laughs> just like eat that and go to sleep. That'll be good. Awesome. Uh, what's the name of your biography going to be? There's actually an on-running joke uh, with a couple of the cooks at the restaurant and the chef de cuisine and my dad. My dad bought like a blank book but had the cover put on it. And he gave it to me as a joke because <laughs> I, I guess for a little bit we were doing these tastings and I started using French Espelette, like the Pimenton Espelette. Mm-hmm. And I love the flavor of it because it's not like crazy hot. And there was like a week and a half or two weeks even that I used Espelette, cucumbers, and Bermonte with like everything. And so my dad bought this hardcover copy thing and got it put on there. And it literally is in big old bold black letters, Cucumber Espelette Bermonte, the life and memoir of Eugene Lagasse. <laughs> and so that's the that's the joke title but um i would i would call it um i don't know uh probably like uh 212 or something like that to do with boiling point and then talk about things that bring me to my boiling point <laughs> that's creative that's good uh which chef shoes do you wear uh me personally i'm in the birkenstock nation uh, yeah what do you what do you wear uh, I've got a little rotation going. Um, funny enough, uh, it's not surprising at all. My dad has his own footwear line, um, and that is they were kind of they kind of look like Converse, but they have non slips on the bottom. So I wear those; they're black. And then I have uh, some custom ones that were all weather. I don't even know the company. I think they're oh, I think they're from like Chicago or something. They're all weather like dress shoes, but I had a shoemaker in New York put non slips on the bottom of them. Okay. Um, so they're, they look like dress shoes. So when I go and do a fancier dinner, I can wear, or like a dinner at somebody's house, I can wear those. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I thought about last night buying a pair of Doc Martens cause a bunch of the, like two of the Sue's here just bought them and they look kind of cool under mm-hmm. like chef pants. So I thought about that. Um, but yeah, for right now it's, uh, my dad's, uh, shoes, and then uh, my custom ones that I have. Awesome. Uh, what is your uh, – so for me, my favorite thing to start the day with is uh, folding towels, making sure I have <laughs> a lot of clean, dry towels on the station. Uh, what is your favorite thing to do before you get your day going in the kitchen? Uh, the first thing I do when I walk in, I get a pot of boiling water, that's like a small saucepan and a few spoons, and I go around and I taste every sauce on every station, whether it be the vinaigrettes on the salad station that even just the cold tomato sauce that's on the, the flatbread and uh, oven station or, or, you know, the bacon vinaigrette that goes on our Brussels sprouts uh, from our fry station. Uh, I go around to the saute. I taste my sausage ragu that, uh, that I make and, and use uh, for one of my dishes that's on the menu. Uh, I go to the grill. I taste their lemon vinaigrettes for their arugula salads. I taste their, you know, um, their different sauces for their cauliflowers. It's a tri-blend. I taste the house Worcestershire. Uh, and, and I just make sure that everything is up to what it needs to be. And, and, and 
Uh, that's something that my dad um, does every time he comes in. So I'd kind of take after him in that way. I also will, uh, I hone every single one of my knives. Okay. Uh, as soon as I walk in, I'll drink a coffee and then I will uh, get to get to service. If it's right. a Sunday or a Friday, because I start writing the tasting menu on Friday and we, we change it on a Sunday. So I, uh, I do that. If it's a Friday, Saturday, that's when I work on those. I'll come in really early on a Saturday, like I'm talking 8 a.m. and start working because we don't open till 1130. And I'll have a ta- I'll have four of the seven courses done by 10 o'clock. Awesome. Great. Uh, so your dad's already got BAM as his catchphrase. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's your catchphrase going to be when we see you and you're like 26 years old and you're running a line? Like, what's your go to word going to be? Uh, taste. I'll just say taste. Taste. I hope you taste. Awesome. That's good. That that would be good on a lot of t-shirts. Yeah, just taste. <laughs> taste, quotations, and then EJ Lagasse. We, uh, we got a... Uh... <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. I'm going to have to talk to you about that later. Um, yeah. We have a... We bought a joke shirts. We bought some... We got... That's one of my favorite things to do. I buy, like, joke shirts for cooks and stuff at the restaurant. And I bought all the Sioux and the chef de cuisine, this shirt that says, just taste it with a Nike logo underneath it. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Awesome. All right. My last quick fire question is what does it mean to you to be a part of the line cook nation, a part of the everyday cook, uh, Instagram podcast. And I guess, what do you want to see out of the content going forward? You know, it's, it's really cool and humbling to be a part of it because, uh, I get to reach a lot of people through you and um, you know, you get to reach a lot of people through me. And what I think what's so cool about that is we'll both be inspiring people uh, to keep going and, mm-hmm. and try and um, to, to push forward. And I, I think that if you continue on doing exactly what you're doing now and showcasing some food of people, I think you could have probably one of the coolest chef instagram pages ever thank you thank you yeah it's definitely been a lot of work so far um but yeah i guess my goal to for the next year is to get to the point where chefs are just dming me uh some are doing it now but i'm mostly reaching out like i did with you uh for quotes so you know anyone out there just send me your thoughts i I just want to promote cooks and when i was at school i saw the need for a lot of the people around me to kind of talk and relate and get promoted and it's a cutthroat industry so whatever i can do to help them and so like i said thank you so much for being on the show and your experience and your age and what you talked about on this podcast i hope resonates with a lot of younger cooks and maybe a lot of older cooks as well and i just thank you for sharing your stories and you know like i said i just started out but it means so much to have someone like you come on the podcast and believe in me and it's definitely given me inspiration to reach out to a lot more people and keep this thing going so Thank you, EJ. Oh, absolutely, Bram. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, to anybody out there, chefs aren't like Selena Gomez and that type of thing. Like, if you Instagram message us, we will normally reply. <laughs> yeah. uh, a good, a good, a good uh, example of this, I was sitting in my history class before Christmas break and was on my phone because it was so boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting there, and Simon Davis, the, uh, the, sh- the head chef at, uh, at Alinea, he um, posted this video called Black Truffle Decadence. And it was like this 
it looked like a ganache of black truffle. Like it was the most incredible thing I had ever seen. And I, I like, I had to know what he did to get it like that. And so I literally sent him a DM and he answered like 20 minutes later, like a full on blown recipe. Mm-hmm. So we will answer. And I promise yeah. you, even my dad, my dad will answer people. Um, and my dad does his Instagram like by himself, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we will answer you guys. So anybody listening here, you know, and you have any questions, you can you can definitely message Ray or myself and we will or anybody for that matter. And we will we will most likely answer you. Awesome. Thank you so much. And do you just want to name drop your social media sites? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just at EJ Legacy is my Instagram. That's really the only uh, only big thing I have. Uh, if you want to see like a portfolio of some stuff that I've done, there's EJLegacy.com. Um, and yeah, um, thanks for having me, Ray. It's been a blast, man. Yeah, no problem. And when you're when we get a little further down the road, I'm sure you'll be back on again, telling us you know more about your tasting menus and whatnot. So I look forward to the relationship you have with Michael Thoughts and all that. So thank you again. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. And I'll see you the next time I'm in New York. Yep. See you later. Have a good one.